Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is. So I'm just going to pray for us, and we're going we're gonna to jump in this morning. So Father, I just thank you for your presence here in this house. I thank you, Lord, that you are, you are moving in our midst. I thank you, Lord, for just what you've already rearranged in us today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you open us up to hear what you're saying, to discern what you're doing, and to let ourselves be transformed by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> All right. I, um, boy, I tell you, it's going to be fun today. I, um, you know, I'm a lot more, normally I'm a lot more calm, but then recently I've just been a lot more rowdy when I speak, and I don't know why, but we'll see how it goes today. Um, but I, I want to I want to jump in today. I'm going to kind of do a part two from what I spoke about um, a few weeks back. I guess last January. Um, so in January, I talked about the peace of God, and and I mentioned in January that there's three different components that I found in in the scriptures um, that I wanted to piece out. And the first one I talked about last week, and it was the peace between or last month between us and God. So it was really how Jesus brought peace between you and I personally and God himself. And if I really encourage you, like, go back and listen to that if you, if you haven't, especially if you're a new believer. Um, it, it's critical, like, because this second part, you know, it's its own thing, but it's definitely really important to know the first part. Uh, so go back and check that out. Um, now, the second way he brings peace, Jesus brings peace, what I want to talk about today, is he brings it in between, right, first off, you and us and God, secondly, in between us and one another, people groups and individuals on the earth. And the third part, which I'm not going to hit today, but is critical as well, is he brings peace for the entire world. He reconciles everything in the world and in heaven back to God. So that's part three, which we'll do that another time. But today, it's the peace that he brings between you and I. And it's important that they're in this order because you don't have peace between you and I if you don't have peace with him. And, and I'll get into that later, why that exists. Um, but you, you can't do this stuff. Like my wife and I can't, can't operate in a state of peace in our home as we're praying today in our marriage without the peace of Christ ruling and reigning in us first. We're going to be hostile towards each other unless we have the peace of God ruling and reigning in us in our relationship with him. And it's interesting, if you look in the book of Acts, and I, I was kind of feeling like an Acts moment this morning, which I feel like every charismatic thing is like, oh, we're in Acts, Acts 2, bring the fire, Lord. And I, I felt that this morning. Um, and, but if you look there, right, you have people who, like, Peter gets up and preaches, and you have men and women, 3,000 that are cut to the heart, and they repent, and they get right with God, and they come under the peace of God, because they receive what Christ did for them, they receive his blood, his death and resurrection, and in that moment, 3,000 get saved, and so there's that, that outpouring of his peace right there, because they now have peace with God. But in the next moment, what happens next? You have this group of people that 
3,000 plus that give their life to Jesus. And then what do you see? An outpouring of peace in their relationships. There's this unity. There's this, they come and they share everything they have, and they give everything to one another in support of one another. So you see the Spirit of God, it, it, it connects us to the Father, but then as a natural overflow, it now brings us peace between one another. Does that make sense? So that's where we're going today. Um, I, I want you all to think about, uh, I want you to just ponder this, and I'll give you my own example. Think about a, a time when you had a major relational change in your life, specifically in your home, all right? A major relational change. So maybe you got, uh, you had a new roommate, um, so that would be a major home relational change. Um, how about COVID, all right? How many of you had a home relational change during COVID, right? Like, everybody here went home to be with their parents for a season. And some of you may still be doing that. You know, that's, that's what, um, but that was a, that's a big home relational change. I mean, for me, when I got married, that was a home relational change. Now we've got two of us together. I told you all this story. My wife was like, whose stuff is all this in our house? I was like, I come with stuff. I have things that come with me when I enter a home. And she was like, oh, okay, we'll just throw that out at the door. <laughs> I said, no, I want that. I want that football. Keep it. Um, but, and then when you have children, right? Very big home relational change. People coming into your home, and it's very challenging. So my wife and I, when we first moved to the city, we lived with a group of people. So we were a married couple, but we had different roommates. And some of you were there, and you went to our apartment. And it, and it was fiery, and it was fun. But let me tell you, there was stuff that was not fun. And it was so far removed now, I can talk about it. And some of those people aren't even here anymore. Praise God. I love them. <laughs> But it was hard, you know, we are like a new couple and you're living in community with other people. So tomorrow's Valentine's Day, right? Try doing Valentine's Day with a bunch of people in your house, like as a married couple. You, you can, you understand the challenges of, you know, there's, there's candles, there's love notes, and they're taking my love notes. I know that's for my wife, like that's not for you. And, you know, everybody, we have our own culture, our own way of doing things. So like some people like to, like one of my roommates loved to cook at night. So they'd be up late at night cooking their meal for the next day, and the whole house smelled like tomorrow's lunch. So I'm trying to go to sleep, and it's just full of whatever they're eating tomorrow. And then, you know, my wife, she wakes up early and prepares her food. So early in the morning, she's banging pots. So there's no sleep in the house. There's 24-7 cooking and eating in my house, which is not good. Um, so anyway, you get my point. Bringing people into your household, it, there's challenges that exist and there's things that we just have to overcome um, when we allow people into our space. Now, the challenge I want to get to today that's faced by the first century church, and which I'm going to connect to what's happening in the modern era, is the challenge that is really one of the biggest challenges in all of the church during the first century. So after Christ came, when the apostles are being commissioned, and that challenge was between Jews and Gentiles. So what is a Gentile? It's a fancy, it's a fancy word for you're just not Jewish, okay? <laughs> so Jews and Gentiles were having a extreme challenges during the early church because what you have are the Jewish nation, which has its own customs, it has its own laws, which has all these built-in traditions, right? And now what, what's happening is with the coming of Christ, the, the two groups, Jew and Gentile, are becoming one. And, and for the Jewish believers, there was, it was a massive undertaking for them um, mentally and in terms of just their daily life because they were basically understood that they were set apart from, from the Gentiles. And everything, even their temple, 
had just limitations and places where they needed to walk as chosen people, like as separate, and now they're having to integrate. And you're, you want to talk about like a real, so we can easily say, oh, you know, they should have done this or done that, but it's like, this is their entire culture and their customs, and those lights are going down. Can you push those up? Um, so so that's, a, that's a challenge that they were facing in the first century that really we, we have very little context for in our modern era. Um, but the Gentiles, from the same regard, they're coming from, they're having to converge with a people group that has customs that cut them out. <laughs> so they're also facing their own challenges trying to come together with the Jewish believers and be one. And so I want to read through a lot of these um, storylines, um, but just to give a little bit, I'm going to read through Ephesians primarily, but to give a little more context, if you read the book of Acts, look at uh, chapter 15, you'll see some of the challenges that were being faced in the early church. And you'll see the Jewish, the Jewish believers had such a hard time. I mean, God was giving them these massive, like, dreams. Like, so Peter has this dream where he sees, you know, a curtain open or a sheet and all these animals that he's not supposed to eat. And God says, go, kill, eat. Because God is, is through signs and wonders even saying, no, you need to unite with the Gentile believers. You all are one. And so it was very, it was very powerful. And then you see the Holy Spirit come on these Gentiles. So men and women like, uh, like Cornelius and his household, they all get saved. The Spirit of God falls on their house. And the Jewish believers are saying, my gosh, like this, like what God's given us is not just for us. It's for the world. And, and we're recognizing because these signs and wonders are, are reminding, are showing us what God wants to do. And it's not just about our people. It's for all people. And they start recognizing that these prophetic things that were scattered throughout their text, the scriptures, the Old Testament, are actually pointing to this present moment when God's opening the floodgates and saying all nations are coming into the kingdom. All that accept Christ get to be a part of the wedding feast, get to come into my kingdom. And so it's a massive transitional moment for the church. And so I just want to give some of that context as we dip into the book of Ephesians today, because you need to understand kind of what, and that was a very brief, it's, it's way more complex than what I gave you, but just a very brief sort of context for what's happening in the church. So Paul is writing in the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. This is a very dynamic church, and this is coming from a very dynamic city. Um, so, so Ephesus is there's 250,000 plus people in that city. I actually love to talk about the city itself because I feel like some of these cities, they relate more with kind of what we're experiencing in New York. So Ephesus is the third largest city in the Roman province or in the Roman Empire. And it has, uh, it's located in modern day Turkey. So it's got great size, great wealth, and great population density. So, you know, in New York, we, you know, we always talk about how we're jam-packed in here. Philip, was telling me today, yeah, I went to the park yesterday, and there was three tennis courts and seven games happening on three tennis courts. It's like, yeah, I've been to that park, and that's real. And there's a soccer game normally behind them. So it's like we're packed in here tight, you know, in New York. But it was a much more, it was a much denser, tighter population in some of these cities, especially Rome, but in Ephesus as well. So Paul's writing to a group of people that are used to tight-knit communities, having people in their home. There's no big gathering places, you're inviting believers over to your tiny little house, like your tiny little New York apartment, and you guys are packing in there, worshiping Jesus together. I mean, you're elbow to elbow in some of these places, more so than we are today. Um, and it's also a very multicultural, diverse city. I mean, this was one of the biggest seaports in the world, 
And um, so lots of commerce, lots of travel, people coming, people from all nations, just like New York. So there's some connections here between Ephesus, Ephesus and New York. So Ephesians 2, chapter, thir- or chapter 2, verse 13, I'm going to jump in and start reading. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, talking about the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, here's the kicker, is our peace. He himself. Who has made the two groups one. And who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh, the flesh of Jesus, the law with its commands and regulations. So I was talking about before the ceremonial sort of commands, the the eating requirements, all these requirements that are keeping them separate. That's what he's talking about. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away, to Gentiles. He came and he preached peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. It's a powerful verse. It's packed full of stuff, which I will not get into all of it. (laughs) But it's packed full. You should read this verse again and again because there's a lot in here. But a few themes I want to I play out, um, I want to dive into a bit. These word choices, right? Jesus destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew Gentile. Now, in the temple, there is a literal dividing wall between where Jews can go and where Gentiles can go. In their very temple, in the very center of the culture, there's a literal wall that exists. And you've got the court of the Gentiles, and you've got three other courts, which no Gentile can go into. So Jesus is, is actually like, in a sense, like they can physically see that wall of separation in between these two people groups. And he's saying, I'm tearing that thing down. I am tearing it down because there's peace in me. And the hostility that exists between these people groups no longer exists in me. In his physical body, in his very flesh, in his death and resurrection, there's peace between these two groups. So as I was mentioned earlier, these, this situation is prophetically demonstrated and spoken about way before this time, but only for those who could see it, who had eyes to see it, or who had ears to hear it. So all throughout Scripture, there's these golden nuggets saying, God is going to reach the nations, not just the Jews. Like, you're chosen, and you're called, but there's a whole group of people. And, but only those that... that were discerning in the spirit, but also understood the text, would be ready for this moment in human history when this is really going to transpire. Because this is a shocker. Like, I, I was trying to explain, it's like, I don't even get how, this is such a massive change of thought for a Jewish believer. I mean, it is monumentally difficult to transition into this new, new order where Christ now, the nations are his, not just the Jewish nation. And so, you see some of these moments. I, I want to point out a few. Simeon. 
who was at the temple praying when Jesus had his baby dedication. We're doing baby dedications today. When Jesus had his, Simeon is there, and here's what Simeon discerned by the Spirit when Jesus walked into that temple. It's funny, it's in the temple, right, where you got the dividing wall. Um, he said, I have seen your salvation. This is in Luke 2, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. Simeon discerned it at the very birth of Christ. And he is the glory to your people, Israel. Both groups. So it, it is there. It's in the text. He's actually quoting Isaiah 49, 6. That's where he got that. But he discerned that word was for right now, and that's what God was doing right now. How do you know that? He's in the temple. He's in a place of prayer. We're in a house of prayer. We want to discern the times we got to stay in the prayer room. <laughs> like Maybe not the physical prayer room, but in your house, wherever. Like There's something about being in prayer, being with the Lord, that you're going to be able to discern things when they happen, and you're going to be able to respond the way he did versus the way many Jewish believers did, which was dig their heels in, hold on their culture, hold on to what they, what they know instead of what God's doing. Jesus, I don't have the reference for it, but I preached on it a while back. Jesus is going into the temple, and it's a famous, it's this famous moment where he is calling out the money changers in the temple. You remember this? And he's saying, you, th this, is, this is a house of prayer for all nations. You're turning it into a den of thieves. And, you know, we think about the den of thieves part more than we think about the house of prayer. He made that statement in the court of the Gentiles. That's where he made that statement. And it's called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus is quoting Isaiah in another verse. He's quoting Isaiah 56. And he's doing it intentionally in the court of the Gentiles to say they're coming in along with the Jews. And there's one body forming. And it's my body. It's the body of Christ himself that they're all coming together in. I mean, he is declaring that, and, you know, we read it, we don't realize all these components to what he's saying. I'll read it for you. Isaiah 56, here's what Jesus is quoting. Isaiah 56, 6, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus was making a statement and he would deliver on it on the cross and when he rose from the dead. So Jesus put to death the hostility between Jews and Gentiles. But do you know what he also did? He put to death the hostility between you and me. Look around this room. He put to death the hostility between you and any believer in this room, in this city, in this world, between you and, your, and the believers in your family, between you and the believers at your work. He put to death the hostility between us. Because in Christ, we have one Father. One Spirit, one Father, and we're united by that Spirit of God in us. So there's no place for hostility. There's no place for division. You know who has that? Nobody else in this world but those of us that follow Jesus. That's it. Nobody has that. People will claim to have unity, but take away the very things that they're getting from you or from others and watch that unity 
implode. Watch it. I've seen it in my own life. Just start to turn some dials, change the dynamics, and they won't stick to that unity. They won't stick with you or with me. But in Christ, we are unified by the Spirit, by one Father, and we'll stick through it through thick and thin. I don't care what environment changes. I don't care what happens, how you turn the dials of your life. You will stick with one another because Christ in you, one Father, we're brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, this mindset is so vacant today in our country. And I'm not believing that's where we're going. Ephesians 2, I'm going to keep going. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You're in the same house, doing the dishes, not cook at night, smelling your food, but I love you anyway, because we're part of the same house, the family of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. I'll get to that word later. Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling by which God lives by his spirit. This is profound stuff. Like, I can't even get halfway through what's in this verse right here. That's why we're going to have to go back and read it. I'm going to read it. I'm preaching to myself. I'm going to read it again. So we are citizens of God's household, no longer foreigners and strangers. We're of the same house. And together, this scripture says, we form the temple. Like the, the, the temple no longer exists, the physical one that exists, but together we come together and we, we are building the temple of God through our fellowship, through our communion with God and one another. That's profound. That's crazy. The temple is no longer <laughs> there, but we're together corporately in our unity with God and one another, a temple for the living God. It says, we join together and rise to become a holy temple. And the, the words are very active here. And you and him, too, are being built together. It's not saying you are built. You're being built together. It's progressive. It's, it's happening. It's continual. I mean, the kingdom of God is growing. And, and so it, it's very active what's happening here. And, and we get to be a part of it because we're in Christ. Now, it says Jesus is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? Sal could tell us. He's an architect. Um, but I'll give my, um, my layman's terms. Um, so the cornerstone, it, it's a rock that, of which all the weight of a structure sits on. It's the, it's, you set it first. And then every other part of the building can be built on top of that stone. But it's got to be there first. And the weight of the building is all resting on this rock. So Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now you see... 
he's, he's drawing from a few different scriptures where this is mentioned. It's mentioned in Isaiah, going back to Isaiah. Got to love our boy Isaiah with lots of prophecy. Isaiah 28, 16 says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Boy, that's a good word when you're feeling out of whack. You go to Isaiah 28, 16, and you say, I'm not going to be stricken with panic because my life is built on the chief cornerstone. And I've got a firm foundation. And I don't care what they do, what they say. I don't care what happens. I'm built on Christ, and I will not be shaken. Go to that verse, Isaiah 28, 16. So he's the cornerstone that we're built on, but he also unites us. And you can't build anything. You can't build community. You can't build church. You can't walk in peace. You can't walk in wholeness without being on the cornerstone. And so that's the place where we start with peace with one another. I said it a million times, but I got I to gotta keep saying it because that's the foundation. So, but the scripture also says that cornerstone is also, is the bad side, a stumbling stone. And that's real. We talk about the cornerstone because we love to build our life on it, but that cornerstone is also a stumbling stone that people will trip over and that people will not want to unite or connect or because they won't receive Jesus. And so you see that quite a bit in Scripture, how this cornerstone, which our life is built on, is also a stumbling stone. And also when Christ himself is going to be rejected, is going to be despised, and, and there will be division over Christ. That's the one place where division, real division, can happen is over Christ himself. And so even in Simeon's prophecy, I didn't read the second half of his prophecy, the second half is all about Jesus being rejected and is all about the sword being cut through Mary's heart because Jesus is going to come and there's going to be division, but not in his house, not with those that are united by his spirit under one father. We're going to be united, united in Christ. So I was, um, you know, if you, if you drive around downtown here a little bit, which some of us that, have to, that try to find parking, we do that a lot. <laughs> and uh, we're always praying, hey, Lord, open up a spot. Do it, Lord. Uh, <laughs> but... Down here, the buildings are real tall, huge. Um, and part of the reason for that is the bedrock. The, there, is, there is some incredible stone down here. They've actually been drilling through the, through the floor behind here. It's pretty scary if you go back there. But there are some, there's some powerful stones that are laid in the base of New York City in this very area that allow the buildings to be built so tall, so high, so beautiful. But it takes a bedrock that's strong in order to build that high. Now, if you go to where I live in Queens... There's this beautiful um, spot right on the East River. It's gorgeous. And, I mean, it's a, this is a nice property. You could sell that for a lot of money. But there's a park, like, you know, just kind of sitting on this beautiful piece of property. And, you know, dogs and whatever. It's, it's just, it's kind of like, man, this is a beautiful piece of property. How much could they sell this thing for and build who knows what? But the reason they can't is because it's an old dumping ground. It's full of trash. The foundation is not settled there. You can't build anything on that plot, even though it's, you know, it would seemingly be worth a lot of money. And so likewise, we can't build anything. We can't build fellowship. We can't build community. We, if, we, if we're not seated on Christ, we don't have that foundation. Nothing can be built. Nothing. And so, so yeah, we can build great community, have great relationships, but we don't have Christ. You can't build. You're going to be as high as the buildings in Astoria, which are not very high. They're very low. <laughs> and yeah, they're 
I, I know, I can see all of Manhattan from Astoria, and I live in a second floor. So, <laughs> fun facts for you. Um, but to keep going on this analogy, I want to turn to 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 4 and 5. And, and, and so this analogy just keeps getting played out just in, in different um, writings. And it says, as you come to him, come to Christ, the living stone, rejected, here's the rejection part, by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, you and I, like living stones are being built, there's that word again, built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there's that same analogy. We're being built as, as an offering into a spiritual house, and we are these living stones. How many of you know, if you've got a building full of stones, the last thing you want to do is start pulling those stones out of the wall. That's not good. They're low, that's, that's why we have these pillars that I can't stand. If we pull that pillar out, we've got a problem. All right, That's why they're there. I would knock them down for you. I really would but we've got a problem. And that's the same thing. We, we're, we sometimes don't recognize that we all are part of God's, we're all part of the structure of the temple. We're living stones. And when you see people that way, as a brother and sister, as a stone in the temple God wants to build on the earth, it changes how you think about them. It changes how you respond to them. And it's the very thing the Jews and the Gentiles had to figure out for themselves. And we got to figure it out today in a modern context with a lot of different denominations and a lot of different opinions and ideas, but we're all one in Christ. So we got to figure this thing out. It says we become a dwelling place, a habitation for his presence. We're, we're present. We say we're a presence-centered church. You don't do that. You, you can't be present-centered if you're not communal, if you're not connected, if you're not walking in the peace between God and between one another. You can't do it. How are you going to build a temple with stones flung everywhere? But I'm telling you, this is countercultural stuff, and the enemy, or whatever you want to call it, is div- wants to divide us in the church. And it's intense. And I'm sure many of you have examples that, um, and some of you have told me your examples of the temptation of division in this hour. It's real. So I was with my kids the other day, and I've got three kids. I got a six year old, five year old, she's turned five, and a one year old, all girls. And we're in the dining room, which in New York is a tiny little kitchen. We're all crammed in here together, just like Ephesus. And um, my one year old, she's just, she's just like, crying and throwing food everywhere, you know, <laughs> like, ah, I want more cheese, I want this, I want that, and yogurt is flying everywhere, and the girls are like, we're all sitting there trying to eat our meal together, have a peaceful meal, and Lilu, my middle daughter, she just, at one point, she just kind of like, finally, she's just fed up, she's just like, dad, like, can we just call an orphanage or something? <laughs> she's watched like Little Orphan Annie, or with it. she's like, let's just get an orphanage, and we can put her in there. And we can eat dinner together. It'll be glorious. Said, talking about your sister? You want to take your sister to the orphanage? Just a second ago, they were playing on the floor. They have a great relationship. But now, because her sister is flinging food on her, is throwing a fit, is making her, is, is making her life unsteady, unbalanced, is frustrating her, she's ready to throw her to the orphanage. How many of us do that with our Christian friends? 
we love them, we connect to them, but when they do something we don't like, when they say something we don't like, when they take a political position we don't like, or they push our buttons, we're just ready to take them to the orphanage. We're like, I'm done with these people. So it's funny, but it's, you can relate, can't you? I can. There's the door. And we say that stuff, you know, flippantly sometimes, but that's a, that's a, that's a living stone. Because we're not just talking about differences of core belief systems. We're going to get to that today. We're going to, the foundations class, we're going to talk about the core foundations of the faith. I'm not talking about differences over if Jesus is God or the Trinity or these core things that we as Christians are, are called to believe. I'm talking about opinions. I'm talking about things that Jesus doesn't give us a right to divide over. And it's real, because one day we'll stand before him, and we'll have to account for some of this stuff. And that's why I'm telling you, and that's why I'm telling myself. Because I just believe in this environment, we're so quick to box people in. Like, we want to we wanna understand who we're talking to, and we want to put them in a certain box. And the nuances of what we're dealing with is way bigger than whatever box we're trying to put our brother and sister in. It's, it's real. Um... You know, Vanessa used to always get on me. I used to make those, those people statements. Like, man, those people. I think I was listening to many podcasts back then. Those people are doing this, and they're doing that, and they're out to get me. And, and Vanessa's like, who, who are these people that you're telling me about? You know them, those people. She's like, do you have a name? Do you have a situation? Do you have an example? Those people. Yes, those people. <laughs> And honestly, I think we can get into that so easy with modern, you know, social media and just word of mouth in this city where we start to have these suspicions or these viewpoints of these Christians that we don't actually have a real situation to tie it to. Or maybe we do, but it's one guy, it's one girl. And we're like, oh, the church, this church, that church, that's who they are. Because I met one person and that's what they were like. I mean, that's real. Like... I was in a conversation with a friend the other day who goes to a different church, a very well-known church in the city, who's a leader in, in a very well-known church. And I, I tell you, I, I about cried at the end of my meeting because I'm, I'm talking to this person and they're just sharing with me what's going on in their life, different things, just being real. And afterward, I feel like the Lord was like, you went into that conversation with so much suspicion in your heart. Like, you went in there thinking, well, because they're part of this ministry and they do this thing, this is what's going on with them. And the Lord's like, you need to get that out of your system. You need to get that out of your thought because that's taking up way too much space in your head and it's keeping you from being the temple, the living temple. And I'm telling you, some of these thoughts, they get in our head about ministries, about Christian groups, about people in our own, even individuals, and they distract from the one. They, they get us all focused and bent on some opinion that we have or some bad thing that happened between us and them, and we're not focused on the one. And we wonder, like, why, why we don't have the presence. Like, we wonder why, like, there's such, like, confusion. It's because we're caught up in these other things and not upon him. And once again, I'm telling you, I'm speaking out of my own stuff, you guys. I'm preaching to myself. Because I felt it so hard with this conversation. I mean, I, I had to repent immediately. I felt, I felt God's like, like his, his heart was like, 
Brothers and sisters are made to be in unity together. And it, it, seems, it can seem so small, but when you start thinking that stuff and assuming things about people, it hurts his heart. It hurts my heart when my kids do that to one another. I can't stand that when they're getting in arguments and quarrels with each other. And I felt that from him in his, in his heart in that moment. So I repented. All right. So I've got, I listed kind of three problems and I, I have some solutions for them, but no, they're just, they're ideas of how you could solve it, right? The pro- things are very nuanced. There's different problems. But I have three kind of standard problems that I've seen with some proposed solutions. So if you're one of these people, take it if you, if you like it. And if it's not you, just move on. All right. So problem number one, these are all unity problems. Number one, some of us love our church more than we love Jesus. That is a, that is a big problem for a couple reasons. <laughs> First off, a lot of those people aren't in church right now that love their church more than they love Jesus. Because when the, when the crap hit the fan, sorry, um, the, but when the stuff goes down, their church culture changes or people in their church start doing stuff they don't like. And it's like, that's the very reason they congregate is for the church, not for Jesus. And so it's really hard to stay connected when it's all about community. And when the dials get turned, you don't want to be in that community anymore. So solution, once again, one solution. We need an encounter with God. That's what we really need because I want to come to church, and I want you all to come to church because you want more of Jesus, and through our fellowship, we get more of him. But you need an encounter with God, and that is what, had that be what draws you to church, not because you like the culture, and then when somebody comes and talks to you, you're not sharing with them about your church, trying to get them to church. You're sharing about Jesus because he's what they need. Your church might even be a good fit for them. I send people to other churches all the time because they live in Queens and they're not going to come here anyway. I'm telling them, go to this church. I'm not build, building my church. I'm about you meeting the Lord and getting discipled and growing in him. That's what we're about. I'm not going to read it, but Ephesians 3.14, great example, great example of a prayer that we need to have for, just for, read that and pray that if you're feeling like, I've just been a part of churches for the culture and not for Jesus. Read that and pray that. I'm going to keep moving. Problem number two, some of us don't even go to church. I mean, if you're here, praise God you're here, but so many people, they don't even go to church. Why is that? I think a part of that is we don't want to be around people that are different than us. Like, there's so much division. You just don't want to be around that, and that's a real thing, and we need to be sensitive about that, but at the same time, if, if we're not in community, we can't be the holy temple that we're supposed to be. You, you can't grow. You, you can't in an isolated place. I've been talking to so many people recently. There's like an evangelism explosion going on right now. In my own life, I'm telling you, like it's weird. I go in anywhere. I can talk to anybody. I'm very chatty, but there's just open doors that I, I'm not used to. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to walk through this door at BJ's and talk to these people, and God's moving. But And so many of the people I talk to, they just don't want to go back to church because it's been a lot. But I'm saying, all right, okay, here's the solution. Like, you are an imperfect person. you got to go find an imperfect church. Like, go find a church. They're going to have different opinions. They're going to have their own problems. But so do you. So go with your imperfect self and find an imperfect church and give everything you have to them and let them give everything they have to you. And we'll just do this thing together imperfectly. I seriously think we, we got to see our own imperfection sometimes and just know that the church is imperfect. And we can't let the church get in the way between us and God. Like we'll use the church as an excuse to not engage with the Lord. 
And it's not, the, the church is flawed, 100%. But it's not an excuse to engage with him. And you're going to stand before him one day. And, and you can't say, well, this guy, this terrible pastor, these terrible people, that's why I wasn't engaging with you. No, it's between you and him. Um, last problem, and this one I'm really going to expand on because I think this is the one I have a hard time with the most. Um, problem number three, some of us have no room for Christians who think differently than us. No room. We've got our own viewpoints, and those change. It's a funny thing. Our parameters change, but we don't have any room for any other ideas or any other, any other viewpoints. So Fern and Lilo, my, my oldest daughters, they got in this argument the other day, and they're talking about sports teams. I don't know why. This is great. I love them to watch more football with me. Um, but Lilo's saying, oh, like, you know, Fern's like, which team is going to win or which team are you rooting for? And Lilo's like, I'm rooting for both teams. It's like, you can't do that. You can't root for both teams. you got to pick a team. She's more analytical. And Lilo's like, no, I, I reject that. I root for both. <laughs> and, and so it just starts getting heightened. And the next thing you know, there's dolls being thrown across the house. And I'm, you know, the intercessor, like, getting in the middle, like, no, like, <laughs> stop it. I rebuke you. <laughs> and they're like, well, you get in fights, too. I'm like, I do get in fights with mom, but I never throw a doll at her, right? <laughs> never. But, you know, can't we get, <laughs> this is, these kids' stories, they're just, they're easy. You know, they just come to me. They're just everywhere. Um, but th- we can get so particular in our viewpoint, and uh, people that think differently than us, we have no room for that. We just don't. And, and I, think, I think there's a couple solutions to this. Um, I think one is to remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. And Paul actually, if you look before this in Ephesians 2.11, I won't read it because I'm running out of time. Ephesians 2.11, he's telling the Gentiles, remember where you came from. Remember, you had no inheritance before this moment where Christ came in and gave it to you. You had nothing. Nothing. And you're not going to allow these Jews to live in, you're not going to live in fellowship with them? You had nothing. And so we got to remember where we came from. And, and when you recollect what Jesus has done, you're like, where he's taken you from, you can connect with people at so many different places in their walk with God. Like, it, it really, the empathy level just goes up through the roof when you remember. So remember what God did. Remember where you were last year, two years ago, ten years ago. And you'll find you can connect with people instead of divide with them where they're at. Second part, remember that Jesus has given different gifts to different people. The fivefold ministry is real, and it's such an important thing because we don't all want to be prophets. We don't all want to be apostles, evangelists, teachers. I mean, you go crazy if you have just all those people in one location. Praise God that we've got so many more here in this house. Um, so anyway, just recognizing God's given different gifts to different people. They're wired differently. Lilo and Fern are very different people. They're, I'm trying to teach them that as a father. We should even, within our own community, help to teach one another. Say, hey, I know you guys are button heads here, but like, I want you to see the calling on this person's life and the calling on that person's life. You're very different. You know, an evangelist has got a very different approach to life than a pastor. Like, it's very different. Um, but we need everyone. We need them all. So I'm just going to give you a real quick, I'm going to bring you in, all right? Because I'm going to be honest with you. Here are some things that I, here's my process in order of some things that I thought that really made it hard to connect with different believers, of different, different types, different streams, all right? So here's, this is literally in the order of my life right here. Um, so first, I, when I became a Christian, I said, ah, oh, the real Christians 
are the people that are going out, that are serving the poor, that are evangelizing, that are reaching the lost. Those are real Christians. I don't know these other groups. That's a real Christian right there. And things change. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> nah, the real Christians are the ones that walk with authority and power. Heal the sick, raise the dead. That's a real Christian. I don't know what I was thinking before. I mean, the poor is important, of course. But if you don't have the power, what are you going to do? This is real life, you guys. Third, I was like, nah, nah, nah. Both those groups, it's a prayer. You got to have, you got to be humble and be in a prayer room. Those are real Christians. So the people are just striving, you know, they're, they're doing all the, you got to be praying that the Lord loves a prayer warrior. That's what he loves. And then it's like, nah, like all these people don't know the Bible. Like they're just trying to reach the lost. They're just trying to like walk in power. They think, you know, they, they think they're going to evangelize the world and they're going to pray through everything. But they're, they ain't praying scripture. They don't. It's the people that know the Bible, that have the deep intellect. Those are the real Christians. How many of you know all those things are fantastic? And there's no real Christian of all those. It's not like one of those has got like um, a lock on God's heart, right? They're the one. It's bogus. So we got to be, we got to learn to be more humble. And we, ha we have to be able to, to step into what God's doing in us, to, to grow with him and learn new things and not turn it into some, some hardcore theology that we're going to impose on everybody else because we have the new thing. That God's doing. You don't have you don't have the new thing. Actually, none of this stuff is new, by the way. It's all nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and, and also, there's other people at different places that have different gift sets that you need. And so, don't preach to them and tell them this is the new thing. Hear what they're hear what God's using them. And you might find yourself in a revival you didn't realize you could be a part of. Like, oh my gosh, God's moving in here, here, and here, and through this ministry and that, and those people, those people, God's moving through those people. Really. They don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, no, they probably do, but maybe they don't entertain him as much. So it, we just, anyway, we need a paradigm shift in how we see the church at large. A, a total paradigm shift. You know, we're doing this thing here, the burn next Friday, and we're bringing together, you know, we're hoping to bring together just lots of different ministries to pray together as the church of New York City, of this region, as the church of this region, like, we're not coming together representing different ministries. We're coming together representing Jesus, and, and we're all one. And I just think it's so easy for us to get in our little silos and think, church, this is our church. Now, our church is way bigger than this. <laughs> and we have to see people as brothers and sisters, as living stones, part of God's temple. When we start seeing people that way, the suspicions will dry up. And, and honestly, then we can have real conversations with people. Like, instead of suspicions, we can just say, hey, here's what God's doing to me. I, I have issue. I differ from you in some of these things. Can we talk about it? Because that, I'm not saying we just blow up all of our, we need to be real. We need to be, we need to bring our part. But the only way to do that is to walk in love towards each other. And we'll find ourselves a lot more mature church and a lot more attractive to nonbelievers. A lot more attractive. There'll be space for people to come in to have different views, to have different opinions, to have different theologies. And to come together. John 17, verse 20 through 23 says, this is Jesus praying. It's one of the, one of the most 
powerful, important prayers in the whole Bible. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying for us. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, and in them, and I in them as you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. In that place of unity, here's what happens. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Our witness is connected to our unity. We want to pray for revival. We want to see and we believe for it. And we're doing outreaches. If we don't have unity, you won't be able to reveal Jesus in his glory. It's just a real thing. Look at all the historic moves of God. They're marked by unity. You look at the business man's prayer revival that happened here on Fulton Street in the 1850s. Unity. All different denominations praying in one place. This is a prayer of Jesus. When we're praying together, it unifies the soul in a way that very little things do. But that unity is just what we need for an outpouring of God. So you can't have that. You can't have one without the other. I really don't believe you can. So the the unity is key for, I believe, the season we're in right now, for the harvest of souls, for many to come in and be saved. And that's why I'm preaching this whole thing, because I believe it's timely. I believe it's critical. And I dare say, I believe New York City can be a model for the rest of the nation of this very thing. I believe it. I, there's people that are moving here from different ministries, and they're looking at me saying, the church is here. Yeah, we got their stuff, but they want to work together. They, they want to be connected I've never seen that. I've been all over the world. Why couldn't the Church of New York City be a model for the rest of this nation and beyond of what it looks like to be one in Christ, to work together, to pray together? Why couldn't we? I believe we're supposed to be. Worship team, could you guys come up for me, please? And the thing is, I mentioned it earlier, but I, I, I preached it last month. Jesus provides a peace that the world cannot provide. And that's why I believe, you know, an evangelist, I love the evangelist, and I was raised as an evangelist in the church. And, like, evangelists is always saying, we got to focus on the lost, and we do. But if you, if you get this right, <laughs> if you get unity and love, I'm telling you, the fish will jump in the boat because that doesn't exist out there. It doesn't exist in the world, not at the level that's obtainable in Christ. Not because we're great lovers, but because we've got the great lover in us. We've got the Spirit of God in us. And we have His Spirit to unite us, like I was saying earlier. It's like, this, that is what the world is looking for. And that is how you can minister to people's hearts. And it's going to cut through the culture right now like a knife through butter. <laughs> like, am I right? Like, there's... Everywhere people want to divide, and we're saying, no, like, we're going to come together. Even we have different opinions. We have different political parties. We're vax and unvax. We're, we're this, we're that, but we're together because of Christ. That's what I want to tell you about. It, it's a demonstration of his love when we come together in unity. It's a demonstration of his heart because he is our peace, and it will mess people up. They're like, what? They won't get it because it just it's, it's a hard thing to find in the culture. You know, I had this picture, this is like a few prayer sets ago, I don't remember when, but I had this picture of these nets being raised all throughout New York City. 
and it was like in the boroughs, in New Jersey, like all over. And they were being raised by different churches. <laughs> and it's like, hey, if they're holding one up in Queens. You got to hold one up here in Manhattan. You know, you got to get the net all the way up. One side's low. The fish are going to get out. <laughs> I used to fish before I moved to New York. But we got to, like, all the nets got to go up. They got to go up. And that's why I really encourage you, like, like, ask God. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Um, Man, there are people coming into the kingdom, like today probably, that are surprising, just as the Jews were surprised by the Gentiles. They are surprising people. And my prayer, and I believe all your prayers, is that when they come into the community of God, an assembly of God, the ecclesia, whatever you want to call it, the church of New York City, that they can find a home that they find love, they find connectivity, they find the peace of Christ ruling and reigning in people and in their relationships. Because they're coming from a world of hostility. And they come in and they find there's no hostility in the room. There's no hostility in the community. There's no hostility. People have their differences, but they're not hostile. And if we can welcome our own already, how much more of, of the harvest can we welcome in? But if we can't get right between one another how many fish are we going to even be able to bring in? Seriously, it, it's like they don't even feel welcome or loved because we don't feel welcome and love with each other. That's our Father's heart because we're brothers and sisters. So God, I just I pray today, Lord, that you would, everybody just, just put your hands out. Um, God, I just pray that you would just give us a fresh revelation of your church. God, you love your church. You love your church. And I repent for having, having the wrong view of your church, Lord. Even letting my past, letting past church hurts and, and, and struggles, Father, influence how I think about your body. It's your body. It's your body. We can't attack our own bodies. It's the body of Christ, which we're all a part of. And so, God, we just, I, I repent for that view point. And God, I pray for myself and for all of us, would you give us your view of the body? Would you give us your heart for your people and all the people in this, the nations that you want to bring in? Lord, that your church would be a light to draw the nations. Because it's not us in them, it's us coming together to draw them. To draw them. We are set apart to be your hands and feet. We are set apart to be salt and light. We're set apart to declare the wonders of God Lord, let our unity in you draw all men and women in this city. In Jesus' name. Let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.